Today we have Jack Langenberg on the show. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have a C-suite executive as your GP? Jack studied undergrad at Notre Dame, and then he attended Harvard Business School. He spent the bulk of his career in C-suite positions, including CFO for billion-dollar-plus companies. His passion included mergers and acquisitions, valuation, and the integration of new businesses. He has since become a full-time real estate professional and invested in 15 multifamily properties for over 4,000 units as GPLP. This is your chance to learn from someone that made the transition from C-suite to real estate investing. Before we jump into the intro, I want to share a story in a charity that is very close to my heart. Seven years ago, we lost Ryan, my seven-year-old nephew, in a boating incident. A few weeks ago, my brother Stefan and Meg, his ex-wife, Ryan's parents, won a record verdict against the boat company involved. It's a huge victory for them as they want boat manufacturers to focus more on safety and hopefully prevent this from happening to another child. In memory of Ryan, they created a charity called Little Hugs, which is focused on giving stuffed animals to children that are in need of comfort. Ryan loved stuffed animals and Ryan loved others. I'm asking you to please support them. You can donate by going to littlehugs.com. If you decide to donate, please make mention that you heard this on the podcast so they know that we as real estate investors care and we give back. I know it will mean the world to Stefan and Meg, Ryan's parents. I thank you in advance from the bottom of my heart. Now, on to the intro. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing, be introduced to the players that are getting it done, and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. A little background on Jack Langenberg before we start the show. Jack lives in the DFW area. He is highly educated from prestigious schools such as Notre Dame and Harvard Business School. He made the transition from C-suite to full-time real estate investor and shares some great tips. His ongoing focus is on Class A properties and more of a yield play. Many of his investors have interest in pride of ownership type assets. Now, onto the show. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Jack Langenberg here with us today. Jack, appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah, you bet. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So a little on how I know Jack. Um, Jack and I are, are both part of the same multifamily mentorship group and um, 
Jack ended up partnering with another gentleman, uh, Tom Lafferty, who I had on the show, uh, episode 65, and they partnered on a deal and um, it was very successful. And I invested in that deal. I was a, a key principal in that deal and I was very happy to be part of that. So I'm excited for this conversation. Um, Jack, typically the first question I ask is how many properties and how many units are you currently invested in? Sure. Currently, uh, 15 properties and about 4,000 units. Uh, I've had about six other deals go full cycle over my investment uh, uh, timeline with the multifamily. That's, that's awesome. You've had six deals. So you're, the deal that I was in with you is the first deal that yes. I've had go full cycle. So you've had six go full cycle, which is, which is yes. awesome. So it means you've probably made some good money too. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why I love the space so much. Fantastic. So, hey, before we get into the real estate side, um, can you just share a little bit about your background? You know, what, what did you do before real estate? Sure. So, you know, I was in corporate America uh, for a long time. I graduated from Notre Dame back in 1990 with a degree in business finance and Japanese and uh, ended up going to Harvard Business School as well. So studying lots of companies was something that was part of my education and different industries and, you know, how you move through them. But then in my corporate you know, career, I was, I've been chief financial officer of you know, many companies, all the way from Fortune 500 down to me being the only employee, uh, lots of different sized companies. But my real passion was in global uh, mergers and acquisitions. I headed up that for, a, for a Kelly Services, a Fortune 500 company. And that gave me the opportunity to go all around the world and look at different types of companies and different industries and buy them. Uh, and in other cases, sell them. So the transactions and figuring out if something's a good deal, if the people fit is the right thing. But I also had responsibility for integrating those companies. And then uh, separate from that, I've run uh, a number of companies as the leader uh, and, and, and sold those you know, through private equity and that type of thing. So um, I love real estate, especially in Texas, because I don't have to jump on a plane. I don't need two interpreters trying to you know, interpret for me and then the seller or the buyer and it's all right here in our own backyard. So I love it. That's fantastic. Well, I didn't, I didn't know your background. So, so first of all, schooling, Notre Dame, mm -hmm. great school and great football. So you've got, you've got yeah. a great team to root for. And then, uh, you know, Harvard, holy cow. So yeah. that, that is, uh, that's a nice achievement to have that on your resume. Um, you know, also the mergers and acquisitions background, really, I, I, I would imagine helps a lot in this, in this world of uh, real estate and, and large scale multifamily real estate in terms of evaluating deals, um, valuations, mm -hmm. and also, you know, determining, you know, when to sell. And, you know, yeah. so talk about some, some of that and how that background helps you in the real estate world. Sure. Yeah. I think knowing when to sell a property is such a key thing. Once you're an owner, you know, we all create a business plan and we need to do that to communicate to investors, you know, the time horizon and such of, you know, let's, let's uh, model it on five years or 10 years or whatever, but uh, it's almost never going to be the case that on the five-year anniversary of a five-year model that you sell, um, you know, the, uh, that my my uh, experience with it is you need to one have the right type of financing instrument. You know what kind of debt do you have on the property, and when's that mature? In case maybe there's a downturn or a COVID-like event, yeah, you, you square with your bank. You know, and 
but you know, you, there's uh, so many levers you can pull in terms of figuring out when to sell. Uh, I, one is, you know, if, if I promise the business in the business plan, the investors, Hey, once we accomplish this business plan, you know, we're going to sell. I, I think hard about that. And a lot of times we'll take it out to a vote. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's so many different uh, levers to pull on, uh, on, you know, operating the property. And when you feel like, wow, this is a really good time, market's hot and we accomplished the plan, you know, that's, that's what we did with Oasis Springs to sell it then. Yeah, that, that was, that was a f- fantastic deal. And, uh, what, you know, what were the returns on the, on that deal? Sure. So, you know, we modeled it. Our pro forma was about 22% IRR and 100%, you know, total return over a five-year model. And, you know, when, when, we, when we were going through COVID, you know, we were like everybody else. The first day they announced that you can't evict people, we were like, ooh, that's a problem. Right. But uh, that, that, that uh, actually forced us to be creative. You know, there's nothing like, you know, some kind of, you know, event that makes you think through how you do things and what levers you have to pull. Like with evictions, you know, the old lever was they're not paying, go to the courts and evict them. And that's one of the nice things about, you know, the Texas uh, real estate market is that the courts are, I would say, slightly landlord friendly. They're not crazy landlord friendly. You still have to have a case for it. But, you know, when we lost the uh, mechanism of eviction, uh, I, I got creative. I actually put my son on a, a charity project and I said, his name's Nick. He's at the Air Force Academy now. Super proud of him. But back, you know, two years ago, he was a junior in high school trying to figure out what to do for a service project. And he, uh, you know, he was asking me, dad, I, I can't go anywhere. We're on lockdown. I need to have something, you know, let's, can you, can you help me think of something? And I, I, right at the same time, I'm dealing with this eviction moratorium. I said, Nick, how about jump on the internet? Google, you know, charities, rent assistance, those type of programs and make me a list of them. And, you know, within a day or two, he had a list of 20 organizations that actually were relevant to uh, that property that we were invested in together. And then, you know, he thought he was done. And I said, oh, no, 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 I need more than this. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. I need like, you know, the property management, you know, their onsite team, all that. They're busy. I'm busy. No one has time to really pink around through Google and figure out, you know, exactly how you submit the forms to this charity or that. So I said, Hey, make me, I used an analogy form. I said, make me a chocolate chip cookie recipe. And at first he's looking at me again, like, yeah, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, you make chocolate chip cookies. There's certain steps and there's certain things you need. I said, I need that for the rent assistance program. I said, tell me, you know, for each one that you found, call them up, talk to them and find out exactly what they need documentation, what the resident needs to do, what property management company needs to do anyway. So he did that. And during COVID, he helped, uh, you know, with our property management team, he helped us, uh, he helped 50 families find rental assistance from anywhere from one to three months. And, you know, naturally, when he wrote about that in his college essays, you know, it looked pretty cool. And I even made sure he got to meet Jose, our on-site property manager at the time. And we, we went out to Wings and he, you know, got some chicken and wings, you know, for, uh, for lunch. And Jose uh, asked Nick how he built it and what he needed to do. And, then, you know, property management then took off and ran with it. But uh, it was a really cool outcome. And that, that positioned us so well, uh, you know, when COVID thawed out in terms of the, the sales side of the transaction market. You know, we were, we were well positioned with a nice trailing 12 and, and, and solid income. I shared that with a bunch of other, uh, you know, Kate or other deal sponsors <laughs> that I. Yeah, yeah actually, yeah, I was going to say, say I, that. that I, yeah. I was appreciative that not only did you do that for you know, the deal that you got, you guys were managing, but once you had success, 
you actually yeah. came out and offered it up to, you know, all the other sponsors in the group. And, and I know that, yep. you know, I, I reached out and said, you know, how could we take advantage of this also? And, um, yep. hit up our property management company. And, but I thought that that was awesome that you didn't just keep it to yourself. You ended up sharing mm-hmm. it with a lot of other people and, you know, the, the ripple effect may have been, you know, that much greater. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I really feel like paying it forward is an important thing. And, you know, when I was early in my investing days, just as an LP, I learned a lot from so many people and, you know, that's, you know, how it goes. It's a, there's a good community of, uh, particularly in Texas of, uh, of deal sponsors and, you know, we have each other's backs and learn from each other. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's crazy. Like, so you've been in a number of different businesses. You've, you've been part of different mergers and acquisitions. You've been in different industries. Um, I also have been in a number of different industries and the large scale multifamily space, like it, it's different. I mean, people legitimately help one another and share. Mm -hmm. And, and I think part of it comes down to the fact that um, there's a lot of partnering that goes on and, um, but it's just so different. Like at first I was skeptical you know, like, are these people yeah. really sharing and they don't, they have no, you know, nothing in return. And what's the you know, catch, right? Is that what you're yeah, what's, the, what's the catch, right? Are they leading me yeah. down a, yeah. you know, a bad hole or what? Mm-hmm. And, but yeah. you just meet so many great people and they have there, I would say more people than not, the high nineties mm-hmm. percentage, um, feel the same way you do pay it forward, you know, like, and look, a lot of people helped them along the way. A lot of people helped me along the way and, and I'm happy to help the next guy. And, and that kind of mentality is fantastic in this industry. Yeah. I think it's important. Transparency is important and, you know, camaraderie in it. I think we all improve each other's outcomes. I mean, I think that in Dallas, even residents have such great places to live compared to say 20 years ago before this, you know, uh, investing directly with these small groups came about because we all have our own creativity. And I like driving around and seeing what other people did. You even to spruce up the outside or the exterior of a building, you know, you learn and you're like, wow, that's really cool. Like, you know, what we did with the Oasis Springs with the, the vertical or the horizontal uh, slats on the balconies made it look so much better than the old wrought iron, you know, railings. And that's not a, that's not a hard thing to do, but somebody thought of it first. And <laughs> right. Abs- absolutely. Yeah. Somebody thought of it first and then you guys, you know, took it and ran with it and, and improved the, the lives of all the, the residents and improved the valuation of the property. So, yeah. um, you know, did you retire before you got into real estate? Or did, were you doing, doing both at the same time? How did that work? Sure. Yeah. So for, for a good stretch, I was the chief financial officer of a company with a, you know, a billion dollar top line and it was a full-time job. So I was investing passively at first for more than five years. I, you know, did a, a key principal kind of role here and there, a guarantor of a loan. But uh, I learned that way by aligning myself with some, you know, the first thing you got to pass is if you're going to invest in somebody's deal, is do you trust them? Right. <laughs> and you got to get to know them. You got to get to know people that have invested with them. And there's a lot of people that don't do that. And, you know, they get into trouble. There are bad actors in the space. But I learned, you know, by, by investing passively first, uh, kind of like, oh, wow, that's a good way of doing business. You know, monthly financials, monthly, right? 
you know, just transparency about the deal and updates and a budget and just the kind of standard blocking and tackling that, you know, you, you want to see. But I, so I got involved that way. And then I got involved with the mentoring program that you're, you know, you're talking about and uh, learned more from other deal sponsors, met Tom Lafferty there, uh, you know, firefighter, uh, you, you know, University of Texas, Austin, MBA, done, done deals. And, you know, so he and I became acquainted through the program. And he asked me to, you know, uh, help out uh, asset management wise with that deal. I mean, one, at the time, he was he's a broker, a coach, a deal sponsor, a firefighter. He had a lot going on. I mean, he, he probably could have handled this other one too, but he gave me the opportunity. I really am appreciative of that. Um, so I did all, you know, the asset management. And that goes back to my operations days of running companies and restructuring them and, and figuring things out on a smaller scale. But there's still a lot of moving parts, as you know, with an apartment complex. And, you know, how do you position it? One thing, you know, what do you do with rents? What do you do with rehabs? And, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Absolutely. So um, five years of LP mm-hmm. um, experience mm-hmm. before you, you got into on the GP side. Um, yeah. You know, I think that you know, when I talk to, to people, I, I highly recommend being an LP in a deal, you know, at least one mm-hmm. deal before you go and become a GP because you get to see the other side. Um, and, you know, from the investor standpoint and so that you can feel that you can you see what kind of communication you get and then you can make some decisions on how you want to manage, you know, your investors when you when you do your first syndication. Um, did you find that valuable being an LP first? Extremely valuable. Yes. You know, because, you know, some of the people I picked to align with initially you know, actually most of them are, you know, solid sponsors, right? They monthly financial transparent. I can call them if I need to. I mean, you are passive, so you're not, you're not supposed to bend their ear every month, but you know, sometimes you have an idea or a question, and, but I, I learned a lot that way. So then, you know, after you know a good five years of doing that, I'm like, okay, I, I now am at a point in corporate America. We sold the company I was in and it's like, okay, let's, let's move on and, and do this full time. And uh, that, that's kind of where I am now with hundred percent full time doing this can't imagine I'd go back to corporate America, but you know, as soon as you say that, then the jinx happens. And- <laughs> right, right. You get a phone <laughs> but, call that's un- unbelievable, that opportunities. Yeah. You, you never yeah. know. But anyway, I, yeah, I, I, I really want to do this full time. I mean, you know, the, the politics in corporate America, there's so many different constituencies and teams. And now I was at the top level, so I had boards that I had to deal with and all that. Here it is really, I've got investors, I've got the property management company, I've got brokers and, you know, I, every meeting I'm in is when I want to be at, like right now. I was right. like, great, Monday morning, I'm going to be talking with Darren. Fantastic. So, you know, you mentioned it before that, you know, um, on the LP side, we're going to stay with that for a second. Um, sure. You know, you learned that you had to get to know the people. And I, and that's yeah. another thing that I would highly suggest listeners, if you're going to get into um, a deal as an LP, get to know the sponsor and, um, you know, and then you learn, okay, well, what, what made me trust that person? And then when you become a GP, you have that knowledge of, okay, well, what was it that, you know, all these sponsors I've invested with, you know, what made me like them and trust them? And I want to present that to other investors that want to invest with me. And, And that, so it's the transparency, it's the communication but it's also understanding how to build that trust and what was it that you liked? 
Yeah. So I, I really like when people have some relevant background, you know, it, it could be in a lot of different things. I mean, I know people who, you know, their, their main thing was marketing and, you know, they, uh, you know, are people who had a finance or, you know, whatever type of background, but it's about, you know, seeing their drive and their passion for it. If it's like, wow, I found this way, I think I can make a lot of money. I mean, that's, that really doesn't capture my attention, but if you can tell they really educated themselves about the space and particularly if they've invested in other people's deals as an LP, I think that that is helpful, but I've seen other people come in and just get right at it. And I'm always blown away and energized even by that, but the passion is key. Uh, you know, they've got to have make, hopefully a track record of, well, they have to have a track record of success in something. It doesn't necessarily have to be multifamily, but uh, cause I'm, I've uh, sponsored, you know, uh, signed on loans for people who it was their first deal. And, but I, I got to know them. Right. So it's a combination of, well, net, you know, networking is so important. Right. And there's all these events for that. So I'm always, you know, handing out my business card and going to coffee or uh, lunch with people. Cause I, I'd like to get to know them, even uh, whether I'm investing with them or I'm trying to get them to invest with me. Yeah. Absolutely. So um, I, I like that you said drive and passion and, you know, for, for me, it's weird. I, you know, I go to church on Sunday and I, you know, I sit there and some, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, talk about serving, right. And yes. talk about going in, cleaning up a neighborhood or cutting mm-hmm. the grass of an older, and like, I would sit there and I'm like, you know, I, it just doesn't resonate with me. Like I'm just not passionate about doing that. And, mm-hmm. and now like with these syndication deals, so I have another business, I trade loan portfolios and all the profit comes to, you know, me and my family. Um, but mm-hmm. these syndications like provided me with a new passion because it's not only building your wealth, but you're building the wealth of all of the investors and yeah. all of those investors have different needs for that money. Some are saving yeah. it for college, some are saving it for retirement. And for, for me, it became a little bit of, of uh, you know, hey, this is a way for me to serve. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, that resonates with me too, Darren. I mean, I've had, in, you know, in the Oasis Springs deal, we had, you know, people who uh, were retired school teachers. We had people, I mean, not just Tom, but there were other firefighters that had, you know, worked their whole career and they had their pension and people who trust us, you know, with their investment dollars. So I, yeah, I find it extremely rewarding. Uh, also, the, the resident side too. I mean, you know, Absolutely. when we bought Oasis Springs, there were there were several units that had drug dealers living in them. <laughs> there were foundation problems. There, were, I mean, getting that kind of stuff fixed and turned around. I was Is that what the, the sneakers property. over the over the electric lines mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of like that, right? Yeah. I mean, I have pictures of the drug baggies on the floor when we were doing unit inspections. Of you know, they're empty plastic bags, uh, no product in them. But you know, that was a pretty good sign. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the kind of person that was living there before, but I was walking the property one Saturday, probably a year into the deal. And sometimes if I'm just going from point A to point B, kid soccer game or what, or I mean, I'm usually alone, but I was walking the property and uh, I saw there was a couple walking their dog and they came up to me and said, you don't look familiar. Do you live here? And, you know, some people could be taken aback and others might big time and go, I'm the owner. And, and I said, no, I don't. I'm working with the property management company to make this, you know, place better. You know, do you live here? And they're like, yeah. And I said, well, I'm so excited that you have such pride of ownership, you know, living here that, you know, you question who I am. I said, I think that's great. 
And, and they're like, yeah, we, well, we really appreciate, you know, the drug dealers getting kicked out and, you know, the surveillance cameras help. And, you know, I asked them other thoughts that they had, you know, about the property. And, but that, that it goes back to what you're saying about serving, right? So you have your investors, but there's also the community and making something so much better. is just, uh, is, I, I love it. You know, it's, uh, I, I start when I start driving around, you know, neighborhoods. Yeah, I, I can never not just look at. I have to see. I have to see apartment complexes, even when I'm traveling. You know, I just drive right. around and look. It changes once you get into the business. All of a sudden, you're driving around and you're like, I know my family. They get they get annoyed with me. I'm like, oh man, that looks like a great apartment <laughs> complex. And they're like, what, Dad? Come on. <laughs> but uh, no, you have to see. You have to see password is now right sometimes. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty funny. Um, so you end up. Going from LP to GP, um, talk about a couple things. One, you know, how did that come about in terms of partnering with Tom? Okay, because yep. I, I have a number of people that will reach out to me on Instagram and, and they're like, you know, why would somebody want to partner with me as a, as a new person? And then secondly, you know, what were some of the learning lessons learned as you asset manage the property? Certainly. So uh, with respect to, you know, Tom and I get connected, we were in the same, you know, mentoring program. He was actually coaching a broker. So very high profile type role in that group, uh, had some successes and uh, another group, person in the group introduced us. And, you know, Tom had this specific need where the inspector was breathing down his uh, neck, a different property owner in the same town. I mean, Tom's a great operator, but that inspector, who's no longer in his job, by the way, <laughs> was really hard to deal with, right? So Tom's like, I need a new face, you know, to, to deal with that guy. And as you know, it's a, it's a people business, right? I mean, we all get uh, enamored with, you know, the asset or the condition and, you know, all the, the numbers, but you're really bringing together a lot of different people, whether it's on the front end of the transaction with the brokers and the seller and the lawyers to, you know, property management once you own it. But so that was a, a key learning on asset management was, hey, rely on my learnings from other things I did in my career that, hey, it's the people, it's the teams you build, and, and that's how you get your outcome. Absolutely. Um, so, um, you know, what were some of the lessons learned while you were managing the property? Sure. I think uh, well, I had several key lessons I learned in the first few months. One is, you know, you're on site property manager and your property management company. They, you really have, I, some people will do vertical integration. Right? I, I prefer uh, the professional third party because hiring, maintaining staff, training them, you get more resources that way. And I can focus on, you know, on, on other things. But I, I'd be, that said, though, another key learning was active management of the relationship with the property management company. I do weekly calls. Some of most of them only last 10 minutes. You know, in the beginning, they're, you know, an hour or more. Uh, you know, in the first few weeks, months of owning a property, you got, you know, a, a, a business plan to execute. But those, those weekly calls and, you know, now post COVID, everyone's used to doing Zooms and everything. They're easy. You can see each other's faces, but you know, we have an agenda and I like to train up the onsite in terms of what information I need to feel comfortable that, you know, the property's being run well and issues are being identified and addressed. But, you know, we have this, you know, kind of typical agenda we'll go through on the prop property's performance. But, um, you know, another, another key learning, uh, you know, I had was, you know, also keeping, keeping uh, in tight communication with the bank. You know, when we, when COVID hit, everyone was talking to their bankers and I think that was important. <laughs> Absolutely. 
um, you know, on the, the weekly calls, um, I heard, this again was advice from somebody else. Uh, Carl Dean was, he's been involved with a number of different, you know, large operators and, and on the operations side. And I remember him saying, and it stuck with me, was that, look, there's a, there's a lot of bullet points that you can you could have with the property management company on those weekly calls. Like you got to yeah. do this, 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 this. And, and he said, look, bubble it up to the top, you know, two or three, focus on that and then move on to the other stuff as those get accomplished. Because if you give the property management company such a huge long laundry list, they, like you said earlier, they're busy doing their, their daily job and they may yeah. not get to any of it if they don't have focus. So yeah. do, would you agree with that? hundred percent. I mean, and one to three things, you know, besides the normal management, maybe one, I mean, like, well, like when we went to the freeze, we were just start, we were just about ready to market Oasis Springs and the freeze hit earlier this year. We had, I don't know, 50 pipe bursts. Holy <laughs> fortunately, cow. We had a, yeah. Fortunately we had a, uh, property about our lead maintenance guy, his, his main certification was in plumbing. So that was really fortuitous. Right. But where I'm going with that is obviously when there's some uh, event or something that happened on the property, you know, you got to, that bubbles up to the top of the list. Sure. My top three things really are, you know, how are they doing with the leasing? You know, the, I mean, you know, the occupancy cause you're getting reports, but how are they doing with lease trade out? You know, whether it's a renewal, are you getting a 25 to $50 bump? you know, on the renewal, uh, what's your percentage of renewal, you know, and then, uh, beyond that, I'm asking, you know, with new leases, you know, where, what are the comps telling us and where are we with, you know, new residents in terms of, you know, the, 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 it's amazing how the rental rates move on a you know weekly basis. You're either becoming more vacant because you're a little bit too high compared to the other, you know, competitors around, or you're leaving money on the table. So, it's a, it's a real fine line, but having that dialogue, you know, with the property management company and being likable with them, you know, they don't, they don't need you busting their chops on every single thing, you know, a, right. a praise goes a long way. And when you win their hearts and minds, they really work hard for you. I like incentives too. I, I, I came up with all kinds of crazy incentives. That was my big thing in corporate America. I probably designed, you know, a couple hundred incentive plans, you know, across a lot of different industries and simply like, for example, with leasing, uh, renewal, you know, we, we really weren't getting renewals. It was easy just to say, Oh, if you're going to stay, okay. Uh, we just pay the same rent. I'm like, well, wait a second. Is that, is that, first of all, is there a reason for that? But you know, when you say to the, you know, the onsite team and the, and the leasing agent, Hey, for every lease, you know, renewal you sign above X, you know, I'll pay you a spiff bonus of something. Right. And uh, I like to move in and out of different bonus plans to keep them, you know, interested and exciting little gamification, you know? That's no, that's great. That's very smart. Um, you know, the, you said a, a few times that the on-site staff is so critical. And so if you're not on site every day, which you're not as, as the owner, as the asset manager, then how do you motivate them to have, you know, the property's best interest and the ownership's best interest and the investor's best interest in, at heart? Um, and doing some of the things that you talked about one being likable. I mean, people, people are going to help people that they like more than they're going to help people that they don't like. 
So if yep. you're an owner that just beats down on the property management company, you know, that probably is not going to motivate them. And then secondly, you talked about incentives. You did it in all your other businesses and then you took that experience and you saw the benefits of doing that and you brought that to multifamily. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We even did an incentive and, you know, back when COVID was starting, I don't know, it's the Texas COVID story is different than other States, but you know, last summer, you know, we were starting to, people were starting to move a little bit towards the end of the summer and, you know, things were thawing out a little bit. And I'm like, how are we going to, and people were used to these charity programs paying their rent, right? I'm like, how are we going to get people to get back on the normal schedule? So we started doing these uh, raffles, you know, it's kind of a Vegas themed uh, decorations in the office. Our onsite came up with that and you know, we put in place, you know, for the, it was, you know, say we're coming up on uh, the month of August last year and it's some time in the middle of July. Okay. August rent, uh, 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 Vegas. Oh, what do we call it? We called it a, it was, it was a, we had a TV, right? One of the contractors actually that does, you know, uh, onsite services donated it. So we had a 50 inch TV and, uh, say, here are your conditions. You know, it's like if you, if you pay your rent, uh, you know, on time, which seems weird to be in putting incentive in place for that, you get five raffle tickets. And if you paid it, you know, by the, you know, 15th, you got one. And, you know, Jose's like, what if they paid it early? I'm like, oh, how about 10? And, you know, so we, we come up with this, these different kind of incentives, even, even for the residents too. So. It's kind of fun to do that. That's funny because, you know, look, and that's, you talked about being creative. That was, that's another mm -hmm. way of being creative because look, we went through an unprecedented time as, as uh, business owners and of real estate um, where the government actually for a year, you could not evict a tenant for not paying. And, and there's yep. all these TV programs that are saying, don't pay your rent and all the, all this. Right. And yet you still have to pay the mortgage and the property management company and all the utilities, et cetera. Um, it was amazing to see, yeah, there were some people that didn't pay and it was, you know, delinquency went up, but it was amazing to see um, how different people and different um, property managers and different owners incentivized people to, hey, to to pay their rent. And that was one of the ways was to do some kind of raffle. Hey, if you pay your rent, which you're supposed to do, which you signed the lease and you said you were going to do, um, you know, Hey, we'll enter you into this raffle and you might win a 50 inch, you know, TV, flat screen TV. Yeah, That's they, pretty awesome. The residents, loved it. the residents loved it. It was really about moving the timing of when they were paying. Cause we had come up with a lot of these pay weekly, you know, we'll divide, you know, your rent and it's not, you know, Usually it's still due on the third, but we'll work with you, you know, put it in a weekly deal because a lot of people get paid on Fridays. So, you know, if you if rent's due on payday and, you know, work with them that way. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a, I, I think there's a, a right way to engage the community as well, too, whether it's like, you know, when the, when the pipes burst, we brought in some food trucks, you know, people couldn't cook, right? And the water was off. And so we brought in some food trucks and uh, even picked up some of the, you know, cost of that. But those are, you know, there's all kinds of ways to be creative and uh, uh, get the community to, uh, you know, see a different side of uh, what the rental uh, residential, you know, rent and, you know, owner resident, uh, you know, kind of relationship can be. Absolutely. So when you took over the property, um, so I'm, I was a KP yeah. in the deal. So I saw the reports. Yeah. You were, when, you were there walking units with me too. Yeah, I remember. Exactly. So <laughs> it 
when you when we bought the deal, it was what in the eighties um, occupancy percentage, and then well, I remember it, is the the bank said you know it said ninety two right. Oh, but did it you really? Were there with me. Yeah, we knew it wasn't right, and <laughs> they and weren't so, paying at least. <laughs> so then, when I got the reports after the first few months, I'm like, uh oh, this is this isn't trending the way we want it to trend. It, it dropped down into the seventies. So talk about how that felt and, and you know, how you guys managed through that. Absolutely. Um, well, there was a, there was a small degree of fear. <laughs> <laughs> Which, absolutely. I'm sure. Fear is a good motivator, but I, I really felt confident about the research we'd done on, you know, the location Tom had owned in that area so I knew, like, if you build it, they will come, right? And the, there was a reason the property was underperforming. I mean, it had, we had three buildings that had foundation problems where we had to take the bricks off the wall. Uh, oh, you know, and when your bricks are off the wall, you've got blue tarps up on the side of it. And that's, like, right by the main entrance. So, the you know, primo resident that you're trying to attract, they're going to see that and just drive right on by, you know. Absolutely. So, we had some of those, we had some of those kind of things in the beginning where, uh one, we did want to take the occupancy down, get on our uh, CapEx plan. And that, that did allow us to finish out the remaining units that hadn't been upgraded, you know, because if they're vacant, get in there and get the work done. We, we had capitalized the deal sufficiently. We had plenty of, you know, working capital to, you know, to work through those projects. But yeah, there was a bit of fear. And uh, that first six months, I was like, man, can we, can we keep, can we keep keep this going, uh, you know, on our plan? And we were, I think we missed, we missed the, we, we didn't do distributions the first, uh, you know, timeline where we had, we, we delayed in one quarter, but then we didn't miss uh, any except twice in COVID. Uh, we got occupancy up to 92% by January, which was, you know, six months into the deal. So then never, and we never came back down. So. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Like, so it, it went south a little bit and I was like, whoa, and, but then you guys turned it around and it, and it ended up being a fantastic property. And, and, um, you know, I saw other deals that were trading in that mark in that sub market. And I was like, this, I knew where we bought it. And yep. I was like, we're going to do well on this one. Um, yep. Hey, so talk about networking because, you know, some people, I think networking just means getting out there and, you know, shaking as many hands and exchanging as many business cards as possible. But, you know, I think that it's more than that. It's, it's actually developing relationships. And so talk yeah. about, um, you know, networking from your standpoint. Certainly. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, finding meaningful relationships that, you know, help you uh, educate yourself, uh, you know, help you find people that might learn from you, you know, and, I, so I, I attend a lot of different type of networking events, you know, brokers put them on, you know, there's uh, like old capital lending. They have a number of events that they have during the year. Uh, I find those to be those type of events to be really helpful because, you know, you meet people that are at different stages, you know, and sure there's a lot of uh, people might be at the same stage as you, but people that are further along uh, in it, uh, they're also willing to talk about what they're doing and, you know, you can learn from them. But, you know, the, the brokers also, you know, you have to have relationships with them if you're buying properties, uh, not if you're just an LP, but, you know, as a, as a, as a deal sponsor, you know, I have to know the brokers and understand kind of, you know, what they're doing. So these networking events, I think, really help to breed some familiarity, but also it helps you understand, you know, where you know, there's overlap in what your goals are and someone else's and maybe end up working together on something like Tom and I did. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, 
people have um, over and over and over again have kind of narrowed down this business to, you know, finding deals and finding investors. And, and so, you know, if, if you're the type of guy that is good at developing relationships with brokers and finding deals, then that's attractive to other sponsors that maybe are not out there doing that piece. Um, yeah. You know, secondarily, you know, on the investor side, a few things happen. You know, one is, you know, some investors, people, some, I know some people think, and I thought this in the beginning too, I'm like, why are some of the senior syndicators ever going to even want to take my money? You know, because right. don't they already have an investor base? But what right. happens is, you know, somebody may have taken 500000 or a million out of the stock market and, and invested in multifamily over a year or two, and now they're tapped out. And they may have yep. to wait, you know, for those deals yeah. to, to turn over. So the syndicators are always looking for, you know, new uh, investors to get, to get involved with. And um, secondly, with deals getting more and more expensive, you know, per yeah. unit and the prices of deals going up, that also causes syndicators to want to partner with more people, you know, to bring different investors into the deal. So talk about your view on now that you're, you know, you've done your first GP deal. um, Talk about Mm -hmm. what your strategy is going forward. Are you, are you looking to work exclusively with Tom? Are you working, looking to be on your own? Are you looking to partner with other people? What's your strategy? Sure. Uh, I've, uh, you know, my, my experience with Tom was great. I'd partner with him on another deal. You know, these things are very, uh, much in a flow state in terms of who works with who on what deal, you know, if somebody else finds a deal and then approaches say Tom and says, Hey, will you work on this with me? You can't like say, well, you got to bring in Jack too. You know, we, right. we do have to cut the pie into a certain number of pieces. So um, I'd work with Tom again on a deal. Um, I've recently worked with, you know, Brad Sumrock on a deal. We closed, uh, it was we actually sold uh, Oasis Springs on the same day. I bought a, a place called spring Valley, another right. 150 unit deal. Fantastic. You know, early seventies kind of thing, you know, or, you know, rehab play, all that. But my, my strategy now is I, I've recently launched uh, Crimson Advisors and that's a, you know, deal sponsor, multifamily, you know, real estate investment, you know, company to sponsor deals. And my, my, uh, I'm shifting my focus a little bit towards class A properties. And, you know, there's, there's, that's an interesting space. It's, it's a little bit different than say, you know, the old rehab uh, play, but I've, uh, I've been, you know, really, uh, I've, I've been best and final in uh, one deal already. I've got one where I'm best and final. Pro- I, I think I might make up on this one, but uh, that's my new focus is really on the, on the, the, the class A space. So class A nineties, two thousands, new, new development, what all the above? New, new co- Yes, very, very new. Like as in this one is just it's still in the lease up stage. Uh, they got their certificate of occupancy earlier this year. So I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I feel like I can, uh, I can land one of those assets. And, you know, I've been building my uh, investor pool uh, <laughs> to, to, to be able to make that happen. Awesome. So what is um, the attraction to, to kind of the, the a new construction space? And then two, um, you know, I was speaking with an investor the other day and, you know, the, the investor brought to my attention, like, look, a lot of syndicators are going to new construction, you know, new development. Um, but, 
you know, as an investor, I'm, I'm invested in a lot of deals. I don't, I don't understand the value add play. I don't understand the, the returns mm-hmm. for the investor in yeah. that type of scenario. So can you talk about those two things? Certainly. So I, I would still go get an old property that needs to be fixed up if the deal was right. But the challenge I've found is that with the increased focus on the space, on Texas, uh, prices have been bid up. Um, I, I do believe, though, that the, the underlying economics, especially for multifamily in Texas, is great. I mean, you look at how many companies are moving here. Uh, you know, look at how many people are moving here. That's, that's all great, you know, for, for, uh, for multifamily investing in general, uh, regardless of the asset class. Me personally, I wanted to move up. Uh, well, I got, I, yeah, I've been in a number of deals, even as a, a passive, where the deferred maintenance or just the age of the property things come up and you have a big CapEx, you know, bill to pay, whether it's a, a chiller going out or pipes under, you know, under the ground. Uh, now we do all our due diligence, you know, in the beginning, scope the pipes like a, like a colonoscopy for plumbing, you know, right. we do all that. Uh, but I found that the, with the combination of the pricing going up uh, on uh, older deals, uh, some of these new builds, you can get them for almost the same type of basis, you know, as you would if you were buying a, an older property. Um, I've even been in some new developments too. I don't lead those. That's not my expertise, but I put some money in with some people that I know and trust. And uh, I feel like, uh, you know, historically people thought, oh, class A is off limits for investors like us because, you know, big institutions come in and grab them up. But there is a lower end of that market where, those institutional players were like, ah, oh, maybe a little small for us. So they're just, you know, they've, they've got to spread, you know, a lot more cost over a deal. So something that, you know, 150 units and new or 200 units and new may not be big enough. They want 500 units or 750 units uh, you sure. know, for a given deal. So combination of pricing and, you know, the, the deferred maintenance piece, uh, you know, those are the things that kind of got me interested in that space. And I, all of a sudden I'm competitive in a couple bids. So I feel like I'll, I'll probably land one soon. So are the returns on those deals similar to the BC? You know, I'm, I'm going to generalize here, but, yeah. you know, almost every deal I see as, you know, 7%, you know, 7, 8% cash on cash and total return mm-hmm. anywhere between 70 and 100%, you know, uh, maybe a little over 100% on some deals um, yep. over a five-year business plan. So, yep. you know, people are looking to get, you know, 70 or, or double their money. Um, mm-hmm. How does that play into these A-class deals? Is it similar sure. or are they having to take a, a lower return for a lower risk profile? Yeah, I would say that when we underwrite the class A properties, they have, it's more of what we would call a yield play, where it's more of a steady more likely, uh, you know, cash flow coming out of, uh, out of that type of a deal. But there's so much interest in this space. I really do believe there is a uh, opportunistic, you know, valuation on the back end. I don't model that all into my deal. So if you looked at, say, I, you know, I'm, I'm the one I've just been underwriting is probably a 75% return and, you know, between a five and a 6% cash on cash return. Um, I feel like it'll turn out way better than that. Just, you know, my instincts from, you know, buying and selling, you know, companies and things and knowing where the, the dynamics of this market are. But yeah, they'll pencil, they'll pencil at a little bit more, you know, type conservative returns. But I think over a, a, an averaging of, you know, many deals, you'd see probably those class A returns 
probably get to those level of projected, you know, performer returns more often. Whereas even with the Waste of Springs, we were behind, you know, we were behind on distribution, you know, distributions compared to models right. because of things that came up. Uh, you know, we, we, we brought the NOI up 62% from when we bought it. So oh. there was also that underlying, you know, good things going on in terms of, you know, exit valuation. But uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, there's, you know, there's room in people's portfolios for say a safer cash flow stream that's more likely to generate what it what it's penciled at versus you know taking the I mean yeah, there are there are deals out there that don't work, but unfortunately right. there's not you know not too many of them. <laughs> and um, have you you know talking to investors, you know going down mm-hmm. so the seventy five percent return you know can be comparable to a a BC. Um, value yep. add play, you know, um, but the cash on cash five to 6%, you know, that's lower mm-hmm. than typically the seven, 8%. Do you see investors, um, you know, push back on that? And um, secondly, their, their projections, like you yeah. said, I mean, I'm in a lot of different deals as an LP also, and and not all of them meet the initial seven, 8% um, cash on cash, but you know, at the end yeah. of the day, they typically do pretty well on the back end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my, uh, you know, obviously through the networking groups that, you know, we know and all that, there, a lot of those people know a lot more about the space there. I want to, I want to take the, the risk on the, the, the C asset, maybe being converted into a B or just, you know, manage better raising the NOI, doing a big rehab, million dollar rehab kind of thing. Um, so there's definitely that set of investors. Uh, and my, my, my investor, you know, group really comes out of my alumni organization. So from Notre Dame and from Harvard and, uh, they've, you know, this fits a little bit differently into their overall asset, you know, uh, class, uh, what would you say their, uh, you know, their investment strategy, they're in a number of different asset classes. And, uh, I think there may be a pride of ownership, uh, component yeah. too, when you yeah. see this brand new property that's got the skyline and you know that you can see from the rooftop pool or something you know there's a there's there's an element of that as well but ultimately people want to know risk adjusted basis you know what's my return going to be and i think that fits the bill for them but it's really important to me to communicate to a given investor because i've got people in my investor database that might not be interested in that yeah and you know i like i like to really be transparent you know and have that conversation with people on the on the front side of the equation so they know yeah this is the kind of deal we're doing and here's why we're doing it so. I think that's very smart um you know I partnered on a deal early this year um in Houston, and that was an a class um two thousands build and and then now I'm partnering on a deal that is a complete fixer upper like forty percent occupancy mm-hmm. and like you know those are two different discussions with investors. Yes. And, and, and it's funny because some investors were like, you know, that I talked to on the fixer up. They're like that, that last deal was just too clean for me. I'm like, this fits me more. I feel like there's more opportunity. And there's other people that are like, this scares me. You know, I like the, yeah. the cleaner. So like you, if you mm-hmm. have different opportunities that fit different people, I think that that's, uh, and you communicate it and you set expectations properly. I think that that's key. Um, Hey, Agreed. talk about yeah. Well, I'm sure you're, you're you're probably in both kinds, right? I mean, you're in new. Yeah. yeah, you just said it. I am too. I am too. I'm like there, that doesn't mean there isn't a deal I don't like, but it's right. the specific. Then you jump to the specifics of what do you know about that team? Are they really good at the rehabs, or they do they they have a great property management company for the Class A space? Because they're really different 
there, it's a different asset management job. Totally, totally. <laughs> and, and, you know, like for me, I've, I've been trading loan portfolios since 2002, large mm-hmm. transactions uh, between banks and, and it's, you know, expectation setting. And so I would always start with like, here's what I don't like, you know, mm-hmm. but here's what I like. And, you know, I think it over, you know, compensates for the stuff that I don't like. Um, there's very few deals that I like every single thing about the deal. Like there's certain, right. you know, it, it may be in a great location, but the returns are lower or, you know, or the, whatever the case may be, or it, all the rehab is done. But, um, Hey, talk about inflation. Uh-huh. So oh, you're, yeah. you're, you're, a, yeah. you know, highly educated yeah. guy. You are in a yeah. lot of different industries and, yes. you know, inflation is something that is a hot topic in today's world. Um, the Fed is saying that it's transitory. There's other people that are saying that it may not be. Um, people are looking at like, okay, well, where, where can I park my money? Real estate is supposed to be a good, you know, hedge for inflation. So talk about your view on inflation, and what you think is, is happening and how multifamily plays into that. Certainly. I, I really believe strongly that uh, multifamily, you know, apartment investing is a great inflation hedge. And here's why. You have a hard asset. You know, it's there. It's, you know, it's land. It's a building. It's, you know, that's always going to be worth something. And, you, you know, the, the valuation of apartment complexes is very different than, say, houses. I used to do uh, single family. You know, back when I had no money and a lot of time, I had a, 10 single family houses. I personally managed them. And, you know, saw the light and moved to multifamily. But you have you know, with multifamily, you have a hard asset. It generates cash flow, and the cash flows are tied to, you know, rents. And what are rents tied to? They're tied to wages. And you know, there could be a scenario where we have inflation without wage growth. I mean, there's some you know talk about that. But wages are getting bid up. We know this. I mean, you go and go to you drive between here and Midland. And there's signs that McDonald's, you know, halfway between here and there in Abilene, they're going to pay $22 an hour and a signing bonus to somebody to work at McDonald's, you know, the wages are, wages are going up. And, uh, I, and that ties into what people can afford in rent. Um, I, you know, there's a lot of recent apartment, uh, database, uh, information coming about our rent. And I mean, we're seeing rents going up 10, 15% in some markets. Now it was a little bit depressed from a year ago. So I think it's a little bit, a little bit overstated in terms of the you know, percentage is not going to be sustainable. You're not going to see 15% rent growth every year, but right. uh, definitely, you know, three to five. I mean, we're underwriting, you know, between three and five on our deals right now after we adjust for where they're shaking out. But I, I really feel like uh, multifamily is a great, hedge on inflation. That's, I don't, I don't buy into it because of that. I buy into it because the assets will appreciate over time uh, with the right type of, you know, operating plan uh, and, you know, and team, you know, team running the, running it. I, I used to be exclusively in the stock market, you know, with my background finance guy from Harvard, you know, you'd, you'd think that, right. And, uh, and I, I moved so much more of my uh, investments into multifamily and I, I just keep doing it as I find deals. You know, every year I say, ah, okay, I'm probably, uh, I've got enough now. And, but then I, you know, even a recent, you know, deal a couple of years ago was like 87 units in Halton city, right? The deal sponsors, they're awesome. They work so hard. None of them have done a deal before, but I, I knew about what kind of, you know, you know, other things they've been doing and, and that deal's going great in Halton city. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not the uh, cosmopolitan area of the world, but there are hard uh, working, you know, people that live there 
and they want a nice place to live. And anyway, I'm on a soapbox. Is it? No, I mean, I think, I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's all great information. Um, another thing is depending on what type of, um, financing you put on it. Right. So if you have, yes. you know, if you fixed your financing, then, yes. you know, that's a big piece of, you know, the expenses and that stays, you know, consistent. And then each year rents are going up with inflation, then you, you have a bigger, you know, gap in terms of profitability. So, um, I, yeah. you know, I definitely can see how it can, it can play into an inflation hedge if wages, um, continue to grow. And like you said, I mean, whether it's restaurants or retail or whatever, I mean, uh, stories that you read on, on, in the news, it's just, people are having a hard time, you know, filling all the, all their employee spots. And so yeah. in my mind, that has to push, you know, wages higher, you know, in order to. Yes. And then, you know, then the Texas dynamic too. I mean, we could, we could watch, you know, 40 other states and see them maybe start to have a little cooling in their multifamily market, which has not happened. But like at some day in the future, say that happens, you go, okay, maybe it's time to slow it down a little bit in Texas. But Texas has got so many people moving to it, so many industries. I mean, you got the, I guess, what is it, the recall election in California going on now and Newsom's throwing out his, uh, you know, stuff slamming Texas. And I'm like, all your people are moving there. I mean, that's great for us as multifamily owners and I won't jump into politics, but it's just funny how, you know, he's trying to highlight the horrible place that Texas is, but it cultivates a very good uh, business climate. And that's what people need. Our country is about working and jobs. So I want to be in the place where those are. And that's where I want to invest in my apartment complex. There's other markets too. I mean, you know, Arizona, Florida, uh, Atlanta, and Georgia's hot. I mean, there are other places, you know, yeah. Yeah, I saw that and I'm sure you saw it too. Um, even during COVID, if, if somebody, so there were some tenants that weren't paying, right? Um, but if somebody left the property, like it was amazing how quick they filled the spot, you know, because yeah. there's a ton of competition. There's a ton of people that are moving into the area that are looking for affordable housing. And um, so even in the, you know, the worst situation possible as an owner, um, you know, if somebody moved out, man, there were, there were people lined up to, to move in. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, the uh, occupancies are all north of 95%. I mean, 97, 98, pre-lease to 100. You, know, you may recall we got to 100% of physical occupancy at, at uh, Oasis Springs for one day, but it was, uh, <laughs> it was cool, to, you know, to hit that. Um, I, I, you know, we used to underwrite at 90% economic vacancy, but if you're there, you're really not a good operator now. You know, you have to say, wait, we're, we're not going to fill it up 100%, but you know, the, uh, you know, the, the gap between way, maybe your oldest lease and where the market is now, you're always going to have some type of economic, uh, vacancy factor. But, um, you know, you, I've, I've found that, uh, just with the desire to live and work in Texas that, you know, if you're doing the right things, your, your property should be full and you should be getting you know pretty good rent. So. so talk to the person that has always wanted to invest in real estate, but mm-hmm. is scared. Yeah, sure. How, how, yeah. how do you help inspire them to, you know, kind of take that leap forward? Right. I would say meet, you know, some general partners, uh, there's a lot, you know, on the internet, but it's probably better to meet people through other people, you know. Um, but I, you know, I, my first hurdle was, 
why would I invest in this asset class versus, you know, the stock market or other things? And one is like, wow, you really don't know the team running a company. You can read about them, you know, the big companies, uh, even smaller ones. But, you know, with, with, with uh, this space, you can get to know the, the general partner that's putting the deal together. Uh, you know, you can learn about the, the property management company they're doing. But the first thing is, you know, find somebody you trust. But then, you know, educate yourself. Um, most of the sponsors, you know, walk through their underwriting and a webinar, you know, when they're pitching a deal. And I would say there's probably a compelling case to have multifamily, you know, I, I'm not probably 100%. There's a compelling case to be made to have you know, multifamily as part of your portfolio. Um, you know, some sponsors will, uh, you know, uh, cater right toward, you know, new investors. And I've had a lot of new investors in my deal. I just like to educate people. So I think educating oneself to get past that fear factor. Now I wouldn't say go sponsor a deal if you haven't right. done it. Uh, right. and, you know, there's a lot, there's a whole other level of education there, but it's very easy to get plugged into, you know, syndication groups uh, and invest. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that I wish that I had known about passive investing in, in real estate transactions a long time ago. I was, making great money and, and, you know, I would have loved to funnel it off to somebody that I trusted, um, you know, yeah. not had all my money in the stock market. Um, I replaced you know, my, you know, I through through passive investing, I, I replaced my W2 income, you know, and that was, that was a, a significant watermark, you know, when I hit that and I'm like, wow, okay, I'm making both paychecks for if there was for a period of time, right? The, the work paycheck and the uh, multifamily investing, you know, syndication. I mean, it's, it's amazing when either coming in monthly or quarterly, depending on the sponsor, but like, wow, these are starting to add up in terms of uh, income stream. So I think it's uh, something that people who are, you know, even earlier in their career, I, you know, I, I recently got my kids involved in the last deal I did. Did, did I, you really? You know, yeah. So my wife and I, I'm remarried. We have five kids between us. <laughs> so busy. Uh, we, they're all teenagers and, you know, into college and stuff, but we, we said, Hey, you know, here's our, here's the latest deal we're sponsoring. Um, you know, we'll let each of you into this up to $2,000 and we'll cover the taxes. Just, you know, we'll take 2000 out of your you know savings account and put it into this deal just to get them exposed to it. Because I, I feel that strongly about it just to you know, get the kids, you know, excited about this and whether it's multifamily or something else, but just to be smart about money, but it's never too early to start. And one of the kids is 17 and he was one of the most excited about doing it. That's, that, that's awesome. Um, you know, it's like when you talk about seeing apartment complexes, when you drive by and stuff and, and, you know, I never used to look at that and now I do. And I was listening to, so I listened to country. I also listened to classic rock and, and, um, listening to the country and there's this new popular song and, and you know, the, the get one good thing about country music is that you can hear the lyrics. Right. And yes. so I'm listening to the words and it's this guy that's asking like his, either his father, or his grandfather, I think it was his grandfather, like for advice. And so he gives him advice. And the first thing he says is buy dirt, you know, like, but, you know, buy real estate, buy dirt, like you're not making yeah. any more of it. Like, and, mm -hmm. and you've heard that over and over and over again, but there's some people that, you know, l let fear stop them from getting involved. And, um, you know, I want to tell the listeners that, look, you need to be accountable for your savings, for your, you know, for your investments. You need to learn, educate, 
and not just hand it all over to Wall Street and just hope for the best. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people that have made a lot of money in real estate. And um, so educate yourself and, and find other yeah. people that have done what you want to do. Yeah, I've heard some people object to, oh, wow, there's this huge, you know, sponsor promote fee of 20%. I can't imagine, you know, sharing that. And like, if you added up all the uh, middlemen between, you know, us and say a stock we own, it's way more than that. You know, even the management team running the, you know, the companies, you add up all those different types of compensation. But most deal sponsors, and there's, there's a lot of different models on how they make money or how we make money, but you know, most of us, you know, uh, take an asset management fee to keep the day-to-day of the property going and cover all that. But then there's uh, only after everyone gets all their money back, uh, then there's uh, something there for us to, you know, take part of. And it's usually, you know, uh, 20% or something like that. So uh, I, I think that uh, those type of, you know, fee structures sometimes are misunderstood and scare some of the early investors away. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, um, typically the people that are, say you're referring to acquisition fees, um, you know, they, that they get, you know, once the deal closes and some people object to that. Um, but it, look, if you build up a track record of providing very solid returns to investors, then people start to become willing to do that in the stock market. You know, I've heard over and over again, you know, assume a 7%, you know, annualized return. Well, Mm -hmm. on these multifamily deals, I mean, it's like mid-teens, you know, like it's, you know, it's substantially different. And so Mm -hmm. um, in any event, hey, uh, we are starting to run out of time. Um, Talk a a little bit about. Um, you know, what's your next stretch goal? Uh, talk about your company, um, you know, where people can find you and that sort of thing. Sure. So uh, my company is Crimson Advisors, and that would be crimson-advisors.com. And what we're about is really helping uh, people find a different way to invest their money uh, through real estate. Uh, we primarily focus, you know, on apartment cl- uh, complexes and I've got, you know, some older ones in the portfolio, but I'm really shifting the focus, you know, a little bit towards the newer stuff. So, yeah, I'd love to have a conversation uh, with somebody who is either new or maybe they've been investing and want to get connected with another group. So that would be uh, uh, great to be able to connect and uh, talk through what their goals are. Fantastic. Uh, what What do you like to do outside of work? Oh, yeah, I'm a big skier. Uh, that would probably be number one. Where, where, do, you, where do you go? What, Colorado? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of spoiled. I have a, a friend who has a place in Vail and I'm a good cook. I, I'm smoking ribs right now as we're talking. Are you really? <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah. My cousin's in town, but so I like, you know, so cooking is a big thing. I like to, you know, when I got divorced, I don't know, six, seven years ago. I, uh, you know, my kids would come over and <laughs> wasn't going to open a can of spaghetti. Right. So I learned to cook and uh, anything from a brisket to ribs to, you know, salmon. I, I mean, I just like to cook all that. So my buddy in, uh, that's got the place in Vail, uh, he confessed that they really would eat out or just eat. And I'm like, oh, well, I, I could fix that for you. So I'd become indispensable, which is really the key in this business, right? Become yeah, indispensable. Yeah, absolutely. You got, you got to provide with. value where the other person, you know, is, is a little bit, you know, falling down and isn't as strong in, right? So he's got yeah, the place yeah. and, and you'll cook for him. So that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. 
and they'll do the dishes, which is great. I'm like, all right, are you all, and then my rule is you got to sit there with me with a glass of wine while I'm cooking. Cause I like to hold court and talk and, you know, and there might be a time when I get a little bit, like I got six things cooking at well, I never have six things cooking, but you know, a couple things going on at once, but uh, yeah, that, that, and uh, just travel and hanging out. We'll have to get, we'll have to get together and have a beer sometime or go yeah. out to dinner. So, I would, I would love that. One, one, I got to get on your, uh, Crimson Advisors uh, database. If you well, you probably already have me in there, but make sure you I do. Have, I have you. Yeah. Okay, good. Make sure you do. Um, look, I thank you for all your hard work and effort on the Oasis deal. Um, it was nice being, you know, I was a KP, but like all I did was sign on the loan, and and um, you guys did all the work, and you know, doubled more than doubled my money. So I uh, appreciate yeah. that. And um, good guy. Didn't realize your your background, your education background, plus your mergers and acquisitions background is, is fantastic. And I think extremely well suited for this, for this space. So appreciate you sharing everything with everybody. Um, listeners, I hope that you enjoyed that one until next week. Sign off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's real estate investing show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. <laughs>